Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop stream, your one stop for co-op news and playthroughs. And today we're doing a special episode with Terrence. What's up, Terrence? Hey, Peter. How's it going? It's not Friday, but extra Marvel Champions to make up for the fact that I missed last Friday feels good for me. And with all the new stuff out, there's lots of Marvel Champions going around and certainly a lot covered on our channel. That is for sure. But you're not the reason we're here, Terrence. The special guest we have today. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean to Terrence all the time. (laughs) People know that. (laughs) You did say you're interviewing me on Friday, so I did make it. You were on. Even though you weren't on, you were on last Friday. So you were at some other uh, some other LCG event. So we, we won't talk about that, though. Like Bruno, we won't talk about Bruno. But the real reason we're here tonight is to talk to Caleb Grace, one of the co-designers or one of the lead designers of Marvel Champions LCG. What's up, Caleb? Hey, guys. Thanks for joining us. So we're going to do an interview with Caleb today, and I figure we'll break it into kind of three main categories. First, we're going to find out a little bit about Caleb himself. Then we want to talk all about Marvel Champions for somebody who's never played before, all the way to maybe we'll get into some deep dive questions. That's why we got Terrence here. And then last, I want to do a little design discussion, because this podcast was originally designed where we reviewed games and then had design discussions. So we have quite a few designers who listen as well. So maybe talk to Caleb a little bit about design philosophies, things like that at the end. Cool. So if anybody has any questions, please feel free to chat them in. This is live on our One Stop Co-op Shop stream channel, as well as it's going to be posted on our podcast this Sunday. So uh, look forward to, if, if you like to listen in your car and uh, you just need to hear us again, listen on Sunday. It'll be edited down too. So we'll get rid of a lot of ums and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> whereas the uh, the live stream, you, you get everything. You get all the bloopers in there. Like me. Yeah, you're not getting the real Caleb Grace experience without all the stuttering and the ums and the just the dead space as my wheels start to turn. <laughs> well, we like wheels turning. And I mean, honestly, part of the reason we've done so much Marvel Champions content, not only on our stream channel, but our normal YouTube channel on the podcast, the reason we talk about Marvel Champions so much is it's definitely one of my favorite games. It might move, it might have moved up to my number one. It's definitely my favorite solo wow. game at this point. But maybe, I mean, I play so much. It's got to be my number one game, right? Well, I'm I mean, okay you told me it was too. your number one game already. <laughs> okay with me if it is you know it doesn't have to be but it's always <laughs> nice to hear people enjoying the game yeah well we we definitely enjoyed here and honestly terrence is the whole reason that i've probably played as much marvel champions as i have because i played it quite a bit solo when the pandemic started we started this streaming channel so it's still fairly new and uh mm-hmm. every friday night we stream marvel champions and that's because of terrence like it was one of those things where we're kind of looking for content when we first started and we review a lot of stuff it's not just Marvel Champions, although it feels like it sometimes, we do a lot of co-op games, like anything cooperative we'll cover here. Um, And even solo stuff, we cover a lot of that stuff. But yeah, we started doing Marvel Champion Friday night. And then like Terrence kept calling me, what are we playing this Friday? What are we playing this Friday? And like, he just drove me to keep playing. And the more I played it, the more I loved it. It's an interesting game in that way. And I'm kind of going a little out of order, but it's an interesting game in the fact that the more I played it, the more I liked it. And you don't always get that experience. I know there are some games where when I play them too much, it loses its luster. And that hasn't happened with Marvel Champions. In fact, like I said, it goes the other way. And I think it's because you all have been so creative with the design and just making every new set, every new hero comes out, every new villain that comes out just feel unique. Cool. That's great to hear. 
But before we get into too much Marvel Champion stuff, let's get into your background a little. We want to learn a little bit about Caleb. Like, who is the man, the myth, the legend behind uh, <laughs> at least every other release of Marvel Champions? So you were the lead design on Red Skull? Yeah. Mad Titan? Mad Titan. Mm-hmm. And, and then the yeah. box. Mutant Genesis. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Michael Boggs and I developed sort of a leapfrog approach to design for the game, mostly out of necessity, just because uh, Marvel Champions has a fairly aggressive release schedule. There's a lot of favorite heroes to get to. You know, everyone's kind of impatient for their favorite heroes. So we're trying to get through them as quickly as we can. You know, we have a lot of our own favorites, too. They were like, oh, I can't wait to design this one. So, yeah, it was uh, early on in the initial development of the game that we just realized, like, okay, if we're going to do this and keep up, we're going to have to kind of overlap a little bit where I'll take lead on Rise of Red Skull and that wave. And then Boggs will take lead on the Galaxy's Most Wanted and that wave. But even then, it's not like we don't touch those products then. Right. You know, there's still a lot of collaboration. It's it's mostly about who is kind of carrying the ball all the way down the field, you know, to the to the end zone. So, like, out of the Rise of Red Skull, Boggs designed both Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, like, two very, very popular heroes. Oh, yeah. Um, and then uh, he was gracious enough to let me take a crack at the Star-Lord, and Aaron Haltem and I kind of collaborated on Groot. And then I kind of forgot, but Boggs reminded me, like, I did a lot of the design for Venom as well. <laughs> like, I, I was, Oh, Venom's one of my favorite, for sure. Uh, yeah, I just felt so silly because I, I was really, I thought I was complimenting him because, honestly, my memory's that bad sometimes. So, like, I'm I'm playing a game with him, and I'm playing Venom. I'm like, wow, he's really fun. You know, this this is great. And he's like, yeah, you designed most of that. And I was like, oh, <laughs> So instead of being like a nice coworker and like complimenting him, I was like patting myself on the back. Like, Are all your favorite <laughs> heroes ones that you've designed, Caleb? <laughs> well, that's just it. I was like really excited to be like, you know, Boggs, you designed one of my favorite heroes. It's like, no, no, I did. I designed my own favorites. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I don't, I don't know if it's true for the other designers or not, but for me, I do find that a lot of my favorites are the ones I designed and it kind of makes sense because I designed them with my own personal preferences, my own sensibilities. So naturally, they they appeal to me, which is not to say that I don't really, really like a lot of the other heroes that are there. It just happens to be like, well, I got to design this one exactly the way I wanted it to be. So, yeah, of course, it's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got some comments already, and I told you our community is very positive and very loving. But before I get to those, I want to say Star-Lord is by far my son's favorite hero. But I will oh, say, cool. I think it might be Terrence's least favorite hero, especially when playing with my son, because my son <laughs> just goes full blast, turn one, five to seven yep. uh, encounter cards in front of himself. And like Terrence is like, what is going on here? Like turn one, we're like getting blown up. I love that push your luck mechanic. It definitely feels oh, like cool. Star-Lord. That is for sure. Yeah, I love naming those abilities too, because sometimes the names are just so appropriate. Once you've got like four face down encounter cards in front of you like what what could go wrong <laughs> like, exactly or my favorite still my favorite still do you even lift you know she hulk's ability nice. yes <laughs> that was that was actually nate french like we were just joking around during way way early development and uh, we all got a good chuckle out of that and then it just stuck like it it, it just never changed <laughs> i made it all the way through and we're like so every time it happens it still cracks me up 
Yeah, no, that that's always funny when you come up with something off the spur of the moment. Like, we're just going to put this in as a temporary name. And then all of a sudden you find out later. It's like, oh, no, we actually just kept that. That's great. There's yeah. there's, there's no better way to describe it. So uh, I wanted to say Mr. L1 says, just wanted to say a big thank you to Caleb and the team on the recent campaign box. Just played with my 11-year-old and my 15-year-old nephew on the first three villains. And they had a great time. Best family game in my house. That's super rewarding to hear. Thanks for sharing. I always love hearing about people playing with their kids and their family. Like that's that's the best thing to do with tabletop games. I get so excited about every Marvel Champions release. It's funny because I look behind myself and I do see three or four Marvel games, but it's not like I was a huge Marvel gamer before Marvel Champions. It's not like mm-hmm. I had a, you know, I went out looking for Marvel themed games. But it's a game that I just get excited for every release for Marvel Champions. And Mm -hmm. this time I talked to my wife and I'm like, you know what? I I bury myself in the basement for like two or three days every time a new release comes out and just play through it like two or three times with both heroes, like go through the campaign several times. I said, do you want to just do that with me this time? And so my wife and I are actually playing through the campaign together for the first time. We're trying to experience it together. Awesome. Well, I hope you guys have a great time. We have. We definitely have. So I, I totally went off of my own format, by the way. Nobody That's can distract okay. I'm, I'm here for it. Nobody you, can you distract can myself. Get me back on track. <laughs> yeah, nobody can distract myself better than myself. That is for sure. <laughs> but let's get a little bit about your background as a gamer. Like, have you gamed your whole life? Did you used to play games with your family growing up? Like, what, what, what put this bug in your ear? Yeah, so I, you know, it's interesting because... I always feel like I just kind of lucked into this job, even though I've been doing it now for 11 years. It it really just felt like I just kind of found myself in it one day and kind of like, how did I get here? And then looking back, it really all made sense. You could almost draw like a straight line from my childhood to doing what I do in terms of my interests and things that I'm passionate about. So as far as like gaming, like one of my earliest gaming memories is like looking at my dad's chess set and asking him like what it was. I thought it looked really neat. Asked him if he could teach me to play. And he was like, when you're older, you know, and, and he did. Taught me to play chess when I was a little older and thought it was really cool. And then I discovered Risk. I think me and my brothers used to play a lot of Risk. We would play Clue as a family or Dari, but I was kind of wanted more. Yeah. You know, like Risk, Risk was one of those games where I realized... I wasn't necessarily enjoying ri- the game as much as I was enjoying imagining the conflicts that it was supposed to represent. So I think my imagination did a lot of filling in the blanks as a kid. But it was actually my love of J.R. Tolkien and The Lord of the Rings that got me into like serious hobby gaming. Okay. Because there was the 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 Wizards CCG that came out like in the mid 90s. And uh, I think I had just finished reading the Lord of the Rings trilogy, maybe for the second time or something just before that. I was just really in love with Middle Earth and that world. And so when I saw a game that had all this artwork that was like bringing characters to life, you know, I remember as a kid, like opening up that starter and one of my random rares was uh, Elrond hero. And I remember thinking as a kid, like almost very literally like, oh, this is what Elrond looks like. You know, yeah. like I was just so excited to see his picture. And that game had a lot of beautiful artwork and a really neat exploration mechanic. So you really felt like you got to explore Middle Earth. And it just like blew risk off the table. You know what I mean? Just it was so involved and I could really lose myself in it. And of course, I played it completely wrong for like the first couple of years, like completely misread the rules. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like me and my friends were all like shocked to learn like this. You know, you've been doing this all wrong. <laughs> 
Well, isn't it funny? Um, There's games you play for years, and and I mean, maybe that turns you into a designer too, right? Because you play something wrong for years, and then you go back and play the real way, and you're like, wait a minute, my way was way better. <laughs> sometimes that happens. Yeah, that sometimes, it happen. goes, sometimes it goes the opposite way, but you're like, oh, guess what? I'm a game yeah. designer now. <laughs> I've got my own rule. Yeah, no, we had a lot of fun with that game, even playing it wrong. And then the Star Wars CCG came out soon after that. And my younger brother was playing that. And so I got, I got into that and so did my friends. And so then it just kind of became a thing like, you know, collectible card games kind of just became my jam. I, I just love that I could throw a deck in a box and bring it with me anywhere. And the experience was a little different every single time. There wasn't always one right strategy. It wasn't like risk where it's like, I always want to start in Australia and, right. you know, wall off Australia and build up my armies. You know, it was like, you wanted to try different things. You had to adapt to what your opponent was doing. And I also, Star Wars was another world that I loved to lose myself in at that time. You know, with Luke Skywalker was my childhood hero. Darth Vader's just incredibly scary and awesome. And all these places like Bespin and Hoth and, and so on. So I, I really liked that. I really liked how immersive they were. And then from there, like, I think it was Decipher that did the Star Wars game. Yeah. And I thought they did it really well. So I kind of became a Decipher fan. So when like Lord of the Rings came around again, I'm still a big Lord of the Rings Tolkien fan. So then Decipher did a, a game based on the films. And I got really into that game for a while and played it competitively at like tournament scenes. And then I started to do like, okay. And then I discovered their Star Trek second edition game. And I got, I like just dove headfirst in that. Star Trek was like another love of mine. So that one I played very competitively with uh, Minnesota had like just some of the best players in the world. Uh, we had a couple former world champions like in the Twin Cities area where, oh, where awesome. I was living at the time. Yeah. So these were the people I got to like play, play every against week. every week. And eventually they invited me to to go out to Gen Con for the, the world championships with them. And, and that was this wonderful sense of camaraderie that we all got into like these 15 passenger vans and like drove out there together and stayed in hotel rooms together and just had a really fun time. And I ended up placing second, like my first year at the World Champions. I like, couldn't believe it. I just oh, kept awesome. moving up. Yeah, I ended up losing to some kid from Germany who had built this totally busted deck. It was hilarious. And I didn't mind losing at all because I was just like blown away that I made it to the final table. Right. So after that, I mean, I, I went back the next year and ended up taking first. And then I went back the year after that. And I ended up winning again. Oh, wow. And uh, th that was kind of fun. Yeah, I got to be only uh, only two-time consecutive world champion. But the best part was just the people I was with were so supportive and like so excited for me to win. And I got some pride, like they give you like deck boxes and stuff, you know. So which game like, was that? Star Trek Second Edition. Okay, that was a Star Trek one. Okay. Yeah, they gave me the, all these booster boxes. So we went back to the hotel and like we just cracked them open as a group. You know, just everybody got packs. It was it was That's super awesome. fun. Super fun moment. Yeah, it doesn't get much better than that. What was funny is like for me, that was all just like my hobby. But then when I applied to the job at Fantasy Flight, I was actually able to like put that on my resume. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, two time like, world where champ. Would you ever, where would you ever imagine putting like two time Star Trek CC world champion on your resume? <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, uh, th th that is the kind of thing that you love being able to put on your resume. Yeah, I just uh, I couldn't imagine like at that time that I would ever end up as a game designer. That wasn't an ambition of mine. It, it was, I was a teacher, a, a youth pastor, you know, I was working with students. I was really enjoying what I was doing. And it, and it wasn't until I found myself looking for a job and I just, I couldn't find anything where I was. And uh, my older brother who was working at Fantasy Flight as, as a copywriter, 
he just reached out and said, Hey, you know, they have this opening. I think you should apply, you know, might as well. Right. Like no harm in it. And it just turned out to be a great fit. So that, so, that was kind of, yeah, just random, I guess. So is your brother still there? Uh, he was there for a real long time, but no, no, he's moved on to a different job. Cool. All right. So I just have two more questions and I'll let Terrence open up to uh, some, some Caleb specific questions. So what is your favorite game? Oh, my favorite game? Well, when I'm on a Marvel Champions podcast, my favorite game is Marvel Champions. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, maybe you can't say. We we already talked about crossing the streams here. We can't we can't do too much of that. So <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what. Here's a little tease for people who know that uh, there was a special there was a special announcement from our studio head at the end of Gen Con this year, where he shared that I designed a, a Star Wars deck building game, and I can't share any details beyond that I designed a Star Wars deck building game. But uh, since we're asking about favorite games, I can say that's seriously in the running. I've been playing that game on a near weekly basis for over two years now, and I haven't gotten tired of it yet. It's just the one that was just announced experience. at Gen Con. The, yeah, the Star Wars deck building game. I'm very, very excited for more announcements and, and details to get shared because I love deck building. In addition to customizable card games, I really enjoy deck building games. And I think it's because customizable card games are kind of like lifestyle games for me. Like people got to yep. mostly be into it, you know, to um, to get the full experience. It can be hard to bring new people into it, especially people who are more casual gamers. I'm, I'm very proud of Champions for the way we lowered that bar of entry yep. with pre-built hero deck. But deck building games, I find, make it to the table for me more often because you don't have to bring a deck ahead of time, right? You, you just play with what's provided. And it still scratches that itch of looking for card combos and thinking of your your tactics each turn. So it was it was really fun for me to have the opportunity to design one of my own. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's always and like good. We established, like we established earlier, when I get to design it, it, it fits my sensibilities. And so it's my favorite. <laughs> That's awesome. So does that mean Marvel Champions LCG is really your favorite co- cooperative game? Since we are on a co-op um, podcast. Yeah. On a Marvel Champions podcast, absolutely. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, 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 it's in the running. You know, like uh, there are a couple co-op card games that I've worked on, and I like them both for for different reasons. Okay, you know, like Enough Marvel said. Champions is my go-to <laughs> when I want to feel heroic and have a you know a real epic fight with a villain. Cool. Uh, so Brant uh, had a question, and actually, this was something I, I meant to bring up. So are you a sleever or not a sleever when it comes to your card <laughs> games? Uh, okay. Well, that kind of, that's, that's, uh, it kind of depends. <laughs> no, it just depends. Like when I, when I was playing collectible card games and the cards actually have some kind of monetary value on the secondary market, I'm a sleever. Okay. Right? I want to be able to trade them, sell them if necessary. When it comes to, Non-collectible games, I still prefer to sleeve, uh, mostly just so I can organize my decks, but sometimes I don't. Like Particularly, I don't find myself sleeving the scenarios, because okay. I just don't feel like I have the time to sleeve all the different like encounter cards. So I, I'll typically sleeve my decks, my player decks, hero decks, but not always the scenarios. Yeah, I got made fun of a lot because I don't sleeve. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I don't. Ever since I started designing and like getting copies of my own games, and I'm just like, I don't have time to sleeve all this stuff. Like between designing, doing the podcast, the YouTube, like I don't have time mm-hmm. to sleeve it. And I figure worst case scenario, if it gets nicked up, I love it that much. I played it that much. I'll just rebuy it. 
And I know some of these games you can't rebuy, yeah. but I figure I can always use opaque sleeves afterward. And like, who cares if there's a little scuff on the card? I don't know. For me, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, and, it and really I'm, comes down to time for me as well. Like, yeah. it's a very time-consuming process to sleeve every last encounter card. You know, and, and there's fun ways to do it, right? You're watching a movie or something. You can just be doing it kind of absentmindedly. Before this, I was just watching the X-Men cartoon sleeving because I just got... You know, I was at Con of the Rings all weekend, and so I just got my box for Mutant Genesis. So I figured, what's the best way to do that? Is you like unpack it, you watch the X Men cartoon, nice. and sleeve your cards, right? That's the way do to it go. for the theme song alone. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> that's so great. So, by the way, Victor Von Doom said that's the wrong answer. Sleeve all, sleeve all. <laughs> so. So, I mean, I got Caleb halfway on my side, at least. He's not all the way on my side, but halfway. I'm not all together on anybody's side, because (laughs) no one is all together on my side. There you go. (laughs) Well, hopefully your your, family is on your side (laughs) at some point. (laughs) There you go, yeah. (laughs) Although, I got to be honest, my family is not on my side, so I don't know why I expect anybody else's family to be on their (laughs) side. Terrence, did you have any questions for Caleb as far as just his background as a gamer or anything else like that before we get into some Marvel Champions talk? I don't know if I had anything specific. I feel like people are here for the champions content. So, <laughs> all yeah, right, it's all good. So, uh, yeah, we got the whole Marvel Champions community out there. Oh, thanks for coming out, guys. It's always fun to see people excited about the game. So, let's talk about this game. Just basics for somebody who's never played Marvel Champions before. What was your design philosophy going into it? Like, who was this designed for specifically? And do you feel like it's still there, or do you think that it's moved mm. beyond that and has expanded to even more audiences than you even expected when you originally designed it? Boy, that's that's a lot of good questions in one. So I'm going to try to break <laughs> it down and start at the beginning. No, no, it's good. It's good. Uh, just uh, I know I have a tendency to ramble. It's going to be hard not to as I answer all of that. So uh, bear with me. So first of all, starting out, like, who was it designed for? What was the design philosophy? That was honestly one of the greatest experiences that I've had at Fantasy Flight Games was having the opportunity to sit down with uh, with Michael Boggs and Nate French and uh, talk about this opportunity to make a Marvel cooperative card game. Like, that, that, was the, that was the mandate, right? Was we have this opportunity to make a living card game that's based on Marvel Comics. It's going to be cooperative. What are you going to do? And we had some just, uh, like, from my experience, like electrifying conversations, just full of possibilities. And so one of the first things that we did that I was really happy with is we we said, uh, what do you think of when you think of Marvel Comics? And we each took a turn. You know, it was like Boggs' turn to answer, you know, and he talked about like really great characters with, you know, real human stories. You know, Nate talked about he loves the humor. There's a lot of irreverent humor. They don't take themselves too seriously. You know, I'm I'm always kind of focused on the the story and the plot. So I was like, I love the the scope of the story. I love the action. So we kind of just jotted these things down and that became our guide was like, well, then whatever game we make, it needs to have human characters. You can relate to it. It needs to have, you know, action. It needs to have humor. You know, it needs to check all these boxes in order to feel like Marvel. And so I, I was just so proud of us for, for taking the time to do that instead of diving right into what kind of game mechanics do we want to do? You know, we really started with what is the Marvel experience? What do we need to be able to convey? What do we want our audience to, to feel when they play the game? Yeah. And then from there, it was kind of like, who is our target audience? And we kind of know like our living card games have a certain audience that, that we feel very good that 
that we've kind of curated this audience that, that we, you know, we, we keep making games that appeal to their sensibilities, that they're willing to check us out. So there's a certain number of people that we know if we make an LCG, they're at least going to check it out. And so that's great. It's great to know that we have a player base there that, that we can kind of count on to give us a chance. But then we thought about, you know, Marvel as a brand, it's kind of the hottest thing in the world right now, right? The MCU is just like a force that can't be stopped. And, and that all came from the comic books. And so we thought this is also a chance to expand our audience, right? To um, cast a wider net. And uh, so we talked about that of like, we don't want to design a game for kids, but we want to design a game that you can play with your kids. That was something that we talked about a lot. That it's not, it's not a childish game, but it's a game that appeals to children. So that's, that's why earlier we were talking like, it's so rewarding to hear people playing with their kids or their nieces yeah. and nephews, that kind of stuff. That's really, really rewarding. So we knew that in order to do that, we were going to have to try to lower the barrier of entry in terms of complexity and, and just the, the weight of the game was going to have to be a little bit lighter than some of our previous cooperative card games. So we made a, a decision early on to try to do a couple of things. I think two real guiding principles. The, the first one was to try to keep it more simple than the other two. And I, and I know some people who are coming to this game will kind of laugh at like, this, this is simple, you know, because there, there are mechanics in there. But I think one of the things that hopefully people will see is that most of the complexity comes from specific card interactions rather than right. the game mechanics themselves. That the game mechanics themselves are pretty straightforward. It's the cards that can build up the complexity. And, and I think that's an important distinction. But then after that, so after trying to keep it more simple is empowerment. We, we want people to feel really empowered that when you play as your favorite hero, you feel like that hero and you, you have heroic turns. And it's, and it's different from our other cooperative games in that regard, too, because our other games are more a little bit of like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to survive this? And Champions is more of like, look what I can do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, Although there are moments that are I moments, keep saying, yeah. how are we supposed to survive this? And yeah. that, w- that was one of the interesting things to me when I first started playing. Well, first of all, I've played all the LCGs before, and this is the one that hooked me. So I think you did a good job of expanding beyond just your normal LCG fan base because I had played the other ones. And I do think they either got a little too time consuming for me, ironically, for the guy who just played like 40 hours of Marvel Champions over the last three days. But... <laughs> either too time consuming overall, like getting into a campaign or whatever else, or too complex for me. And and just, you know, things that didn't sink in my mind. I think the one thing that's great about Marvel Champions is it does have a much broader appeal. I think it appeals to people who want a deck build. I think it appeals to people who don't want a deck build. Like was that pre-con part of the hey, we've got a Marvel license. We're trying to simplify things. Let's make these pre-constructed heroes that you can just play right out of the box. Was mm-hmm. that part of that initial design philosophy or when did that come about? Yep. Absolutely. No, that, that was maybe one of the smartest decisions we've ever made as a team, honestly, was, was just reevaluating the release model for our LCGs and, and again, trying to lower the barrier of entry. Now, I think it's really important <coughs> at this point to clarify that like our earlier LCGs were really trailblazers our cooperative LCGs. We're real trailblazers in the market. We're like, I don't think a cooperative customizable card game existed before Nate designed the Lord of the Rings. Certainly nothing with that, you know, kind of um, collectability aspect to it and the expansions with all these different adventures and that. So that was a real trailblazer. And then Arkham followed that by, you know, going in a different direction of really 
being more of an RPG LCG, where Lord of the Rings is this like adventure quest LCG. So they each had these models, though, that were based off of, we're going to release a small box that's going to lay the groundwork for this expanding story. And then every pack that comes after is going to continue that story. And uh, it's really cool if you're able to keep up with the releases and experience that from month to month of, oh my gosh, you know, the last you know scenario really ended on a cliffhanger. Where are they going to go next month? That's an electrifying experience. But if you're coming to it maybe a little bit late and you can't find one or two of those packs, that's a very frustrating experience. Yeah. Because now you feel yep. like, I, I want to play the whole story. I want to get the whole narrative. It, it's, it's captivating. It's fun. But I don't want to skip a chapter. You yeah. know, I don't. Yeah. I, and, uh, and so we talked about that of like, what if we just put the whole story in one box so that there's there's no way it gets broken up? Like, it's all there for you. And, uh, and another complaint was like, you know, these games are pretty hard. It, it can be hard to build a deck that can win a scenario. It can be hard to build a deck that performs consistently. And so we thought, what if we built the decks for them so that a lot of people too uh, just don't have time. So that was actually maybe the, one of the biggest things that surprised me to learn in my eight plus years of working on the Lord of the Rings was to discover how many people that played the game did not enjoy deck building. I, and that honestly blew my mind. Like again, going back to like my Star Trek CCG competitive roots, how much I loved deck building as a part of that game it never even occurred to me even as a designer it never even occurred to me that there would be people in our audience who just don't like building decks but still want to play the game and when i thought about it when someone pointed that out to me i was like that's perfectly valid yeah that's that's i i don't look down on that at all that's perfectly valid you want to experience the story but maybe you're just really busy i mean i've got two little kids it is fine it's hard to find time absolutely to do that kind of deck building yeah, that ahead, comes please. up all the time in our community of just like the deck construction versus not like some people mm-hmm. consider it like homework, right? Like they just want to play mm-hmm. the game. And I think that's why deck builders potentially, like you were mentioning, where yeah. you get those combos are, are very popular with that crowd. Uh, mm-hmm. I know for even like Lord of the Rings, like that, the the booklets having the pre-constructed, mm-hmm. like even though it doesn't come pre-constructed, you have that insert mm-hmm. uh, of like a deck, you know, was very popular for a lot of people in Saga because you know, a lot of people yeah. would just buy Lord of the Rings to just play through the books right they just want to go on that journey yeah uh, so pre-cons are just a great idea for people to just not get terrence, into the though. game and <laughs> yeah not me terrence, I, I terrence breaks them down I, literally I, I, before he ever plays them them. yeah no, that's okay yeah. too so that's what i great is that every <laughs> every one of those approaches and everything in between it's all valid i i know there's a ton of people who just completely dismiss the pre-cons and you know, they're not worth their time. And that's fine. It, it does, that does not have to be how you enjoy the game. But it's interesting you bring up the, the yeah, the saga expansions and the deck list because thinking about it, it really does kind of represent the journey that I've been on and that the studio's been on, you know, developing these things. You know, they really are trailblazers in a sense, these, these cooperative card games. And so you can see that early on, there were no deck lists. It, it was like, if you were buying this game, you were kind of expected to be into deck building and customizing. And then as we went, yeah, we started to get that feedback of, hey, could you help me out a little bit? Throw me a bone, point me in a direction, give me a little bit of support. And so we started yeah, including deck lists, right? And now we're at Champions where it's like, here's the whole deck. Just just go to town, you know? Yeah. Um, so and I played with every pre-con. Too. I mean, honestly, that's what got me into the game. 
uh, was that I didn't have to deck build right out of the box because it's so mm-hmm. intimidating to get a game for the first time. You've never played it before. You don't know what you're doing. And now it's like build a deck before you play your first game. And honestly, so I, I'm another uh, a fan of another game that Fantasy Flight had for a long time. Um, well, not for a long time, I guess. Keyforge. And I used mm-hmm. to love to just buy a deck and play it. I would not look through the cards. I would not do anything else. Mm-hmm. I would shuffle up and play it. And for me, that's what I do with every release of Marvel Champions. Like, I don't read the spoiler articles. I don't read anything else. I mean, it's hard for me to avoid knowing who, like, the next hero is because people talk about that. But I really do not want to know what any of the cards in those deck are or anything else to open up and start playing it. Because for me, it's a thrill. It almost makes me feel like, you know, those CCG days where you open up a deck and it's like, oh, man, I've never seen this card before. Like, I love... Mm -hmm opening like seeing a card and it doesn't help me at all in the scenario i'm in but it doesn't matter because i have to play that card you know what i mean like you gotta smell them first right take off the <laughs> you gotta, you gotta sniff it. you gotta smell the yeah. new cards there's nothing like that yeah. new card smell yeah <laughs> oh, yeah i love that from the magic days to just like yep. opening that new pack sniffing yep. the cards but when we started yeah, creating I- creating content for it, it also made me realize how broad of an appeal this game had and that people were playing the game differently than me. So Mm -hmm. I like to play standard to get through the campaign and like get the story, right? When I play a game for the first time, I want to feel that full story. And the nice part for me is that five mission story arc is perfect amount of time. Like it's not too much, not too little. I can experience the story playing with the standard pre-cons. I get to really know that pre-con really well. I get to know all the new cards when those packs come out and I get to play through the story on standard. But then after I'm done, Like now I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's go at it. Let's play expert for the rest of the time. And then I'll play individual scenarios, whatever else on expert. And I just assume that's what everybody else did. But then I see some (laughs) of these other channels out here, like Brant's doing stuff like speed runs where it's like, okay, we're playing against standard, but we're building the best decks we can. And let me see if I can beat it in like how many total (laughs) turns it takes me to beat the entire campaign. And then you Mm -hmm. see... Steve from Play the Game out there, and he's doing stuff like, let me see if I can play Hawkeye and fire off all of his arrows in one turn. So it's just funny to me how many different ways people are experiencing the game and how broad that appeal is. That's one of the neat parts about it is I love the fact that you can scale difficulty. And a lot of times, sometimes it scales complexity, but not always. A lot of times it doesn't scale complexity because that can be overwhelming. You know, it's like, hey, I liked mm-hmm. what I was playing before. I just want it to be a little harder. I think the standard expert was really great. Uh, I remember first getting the Lord of the Rings, and were there even was there even like an easy mode in the core set? I don't even remember. Not I, I, don't, I don't think that those gold ring cards existed. Like, uh, no, no, that was part of that learning curve, right? Was, yeah, uh, I, I just felt like I was really terrible at the game, uh, <laughs> and I realized everyone's terrible at the game because the game is actually hard. And I think it was hard. nice to have standard expert and Marvel champions of just like. Yeah, like there is a way when I am playing with people that aren't as into it as me that there is like this way to kind of ramp them up into the game. And then, you know, for people who are really into it, like when we have something like Con of Heroes that you have those modulars and you come up with like really crazy scenarios like Peter and I have done on stream like Legions of Hydra with Red Skull. And that that is just a nasty <laughs> combo. Just like you just really start to hate Madame Hydra. She just like never goes yes. away. Yes, Always I... comes back. Yep. Just like, do you even bother killing her? She's just gonna come back, you know. <laughs> but yeah, yep. you can come up with like really cool stuff. Uh, and and 
you you have just like so many levers too with the modulars which i thought was really cool i think i wasn't a fan of it initially because i just really enjoyed the like just tell me what i need to play so mm -hmm. i enjoyed that there's like a recommended like kind of default thing versus mm -hmm. like I, I guess like the inverse i guess like deck construction of like here's the villain please figure out what modular you need to play i'm glad like you at least get told what to play yeah uh, for sure but then you can construct that as well. As Terrence said, you know, a lot of times we try to come up with a fun combo where either it's a modular we haven't played before or a modular we're like, oh, that would be really nasty with that. As you can tell, Terrence and I are masochistic gamers. We, uh, <laughs> we, we tend to try to challenge ourselves, which means we lose yeah. a lot. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, I mean, it might be my fault a lot of times as well. That's fine. <laughs> That is so rewarding to hear. Just like the, the modular design was another one of those things that we discussed very, very early on. You know, and the the adjustable difficulty, the adjustable player counts, the customizable encounter decks, even having different villain stages, right? You can start on one and go to two. You can start on two and go to three. You can play just any one of them. I think it's good for the game that it, it keeps everyone interested. It can also be very challenging to design. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Because uh, designing a scenario that works great at the one-player count on standard is different from designing a scenario that works great at the four-player count on expert. You know, it's like trying yeah. to find the sweet spot. you well, got to be a ninja game designer to do that right all the time. <laughs> well, and you don't have to do it right all the time. I think that's part of it, too, right? Like, Mike, who's my design partner, and I talk about this all the time the one part about cooperative games that's great is you can have stuff of different power levels in different situations and that's okay because it is cooperative right if you want to feel like a hero day one day you take that most powerful stuff and you throw it all together but if you want to challenge yourself you know you limit what you what you can take as well as long as mm -hmm. there's a way to know what is more powerful and not more powerful and uh, I think the community's done a really good job of like putting together like guides, like, hey, this stuff is what I win with most of the time. This is what I not. Yeah, no, I, I think there's enough resources out there to know, like, okay, you're putting yourself in for a challenge. But I mean, Terrence and I, you know, we've done stuff like, uh, okay, which heroes want to flip the most? Let's take them against who's the one that Taskmaster. Taskmaster. <laughs> like, let's do Taskmaster <laughs> with flippy heroes. Let's do it, right? Um, wow. I, I feel like Peter likes to do a Black Widow with, like, a Collector 1. Like, yeah, we've done that. <laughs> yep, yeah, we've done that. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're looking for a rough matchup, yeah, it's Black Widow against the Collector. <laughs> <laughs> it works, though. You can do it. Trust me. I we, we have a stream of it. You, you just never discard any of your preparations that's well that's uh, that's what it is yeah you just don't use those like, is this is this worth two resources i don't know well yeah unless you're getting rid of shadows of the past which by the way <laughs> speaking of shadows of the past how yeah. did that come about that was another decision we made very very early on part of our pitch was that uh in in order to make sure that every hero felt like you know a very unique and very complete story within the larger whole that we wouldn't just present their hero kits, but we'd also present their obligations and their nemesis to show that these are people with with history. These are people with troubled pasts and and problems of their own that can come back to haunt them in some some dangerous or hilarious ways. You know, we we joked a lot during the course of development that Peter Parker would uh, one day be battling Thanos for the fate of the universe and then realize he had to pay his rent. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's definitely happened to me. Right. Like, you know, he's about to snap away half of existence, but oh, no, my rent, you know, <laughs> right. 
You can just imagine that meme from Spider-Man 3, you know, rant. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Dr. Han says, I have to say this is my wife's all-time favorite game. So I think we're, I mean, obviously all these people are, are co-op gamers as well. So I think a lot of people out here's favorite game. So uh, well, I told really you. great to hear. Thank you. The, the praise uh, would really be coming. That. This is not a this is not a one stop competitive cast where we beat each other down the whole time. We <laughs> we, we talk about a lot of uh, you know people love to love each other here. But Brent does have a good question. Why did you make player decks variable size? Is forty the intended size? Yeah, that that's an interesting question. Like uh, forty is your minimum, and fifty is your maximum. And we had some interesting conversations about that. So Boggs and Nate and I. We all have competitive gaming backgrounds. You know, Nate, he's a stone-cold killer when you play Game of Thrones with him. He's just, <laughs> he's so good at that game. He just always has my number. Like, I'm a pretty good gamer, but uh, I could probably count on one hand the number of times I beat Nate at Game of Thrones. And Boggs was a big part of the Netrunner community. People knew who he was, and he was really good at that. So we're all kind of competitive gamers at heart. And so, you know, competitive gamers know that uh, deck consistency is like one of the keys to success. You know, the more that you can thin your deck, you know, in any card game, if there's a card that says something like draw two cards and discard a card from your hand, it's almost like an auto include because you're basically making your deck that many cards thinner. Right. You know, that's going to get you to the cards you want to see faster. So deck minimum is like really important to establish of like, what is the right cadence for this game? One of my favorite things about champions is that you don't just draw like one or two cards each turn, but a whole new hand. We, yeah. we really like that. And uh, that you can go through your deck and just shuffle and keep playing with with a minor penalty of, of an encounter card. Because we wanted people to see their cards to, to play. We didn't want people to be going, oh, I, you know, I can't find the one card I need. And you get through the whole game and you're like, I never saw it. You know, that's we didn't want that. Again, we want people to feel empowered. So 40, it's not like a number we pulled out of a hat, but it also wasn't like, I don't remember how we got there. I don't know if we started at 40, if we started higher and worked our way down, but we just found it was like the right, the right number after some testing, like this is the right cadence that we're going through the deck. We're seeing the cards we want to see at about the pace that we wanted to go. After that, it became a question of, should there even be a maximum? We need a minimum, but should there be a maximum? And uh, that was more of a conversation of like, some people felt like, no, let the players do what they want. My feeling was that that's cool until you're trying to design a scenario that cares about your deck size. Yeah. And and then you can break that scenario by just building a huge deck. Yeah, you limit constantly. your design space by yeah, not so having we, a we maximum. Said, yeah, we just, we just said, look, you don't really need to go much higher than 50. So you got a little bit of a buffer. So it was about player choice. We wanted players to to have some agency there. But we also wanted to make sure, yeah, that we were ensuring like future proofing the game down the road best we could. So Jang Fetz has a comment. And then after that, I got a question. And then sorry, Terrence, then we'll let you you jump in. So Jang Fetz says, I love the flexibility, new heroes, different aspects, new villains with different agendas and tactics, modulars, endless creations and challenge. Eric asked the question, five players. Why did that get taken off the table? Was it originally designed that way? Like, what happened to it was uh, never it was never on the table five players was never something that that we discussed i well no that's not true i think it came up in the same way it's kind of come up with our other cooperative lcgs which is basically like you could probably homebrew the rules you could probably just keep playing the game and add more players 
but it's not an experience that we are going to curate. It's not something that we're going to design for because it's already hard enough designing between one and four, you know, that, that whole spectrum trying to go any higher than that. There just has to be a cutoff point for us in order for us to be able to reasonably design scenarios and heroes and and balance the game. And, And five was just like a bridge too far. All right, Terrence, go for it. What was your question? Oh, no, I was going to make a comment uh, if Caleb saw the thousand card deck that uh, Purple Wizard brought to Count of, Count of the Rings, where you, <laughs> yeah. he, he wanted to play a four-player game so other people could help him shuffle the deck, because it's so big. <laughs> that, was, that was insane. Yeah, he showed me. It's just like, oh, I, the, the cards form a physical wall that protect him from the enemies. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, yes, we made the right decision in Marvel Champions. It's only how card packs. <laughs> All right, so let's get into some fun questions. Do you have a favorite card in Marvel Champions? Oh my goodness. It, just a favorite single not card. Not hero, not what not aspect, but single card. Do you have a card that like I, in encounter card, player card? Anything. Any? Anything you anything? Yeah, I don't know that I do. <laughs> okay. That's, is it's yeah. is uh Dark Phoenix like uh Phoenix's obligation one of your favorite? Play. Thematically, yeah. Oh, I hate um, that card. <laughs> that, card is, yeah, that card is a beast if it hits the table. But uh, I think, yeah, so a card like that, y- you know, it's interesting because I will get questions, and depending on who's asking, they, they want to know something different. So, like, serious gamers will, like, ask about balance. And, like, more casual gamers will, like, ask about theme, you yeah. know, like, a lot of times. And sometimes when I'm designing a card, I'm more concerned with balance and sometimes i'm more concerned with theme they're always both on my mind but sure dark phoenix for me was just like all about theme because you can't hardly do a phoenix character and not have dark phoenix be her nemesis you know and then if if dark phoenix is going to be a nemesis then thematically it's got to be ferocious it's got to be formidable and um, it is. <laughs> yeah. You don't want Shadows of the Past turn one when you're playing Phoenix. That is for darn sure. That is no, you a... never want Shadows of the Past turn one. <laughs> yes. Peter just... likes to draw Shadows of the Past turn one and then make everyone on our stream drink. Yeah, well, that's our that's our drinking game, yes. <laughs> okay. Although I changed it. I changed it to when we don't draw Shadows, when we see it discarded as a uh, something else we're drinking now because we want to drink our celebrations, not our pain and misery away. So... <laughs> celebratory drink yes do do, do you use uh i guess like obligation as a way to balance like stronger heroes and stuff i was under the impression that like Mm. phoenix was a strong hero and therefore like there was a higher risk of playing that character also fits thematically too yeah is that like part of consideration design yeah to a degree absolutely but yes with, with phoenix in particular you're talking about our only ever natural three thwart hero that's a pretty big deal to have three printed thwart, you know, with, with one simple attachment, you can get up to four. I mean, you're talking about I'll exhaust my hero and clear side scheme. Like no one else can really do that without a lot of work. And um, she starts with four spectrum, free resources in there, too, right? right? <laughs> like that's the other part. Four yeah, free resources yeah, from turn one. What were you saying, Terrence? What, what was your comment? Uh, sorry. Uh, Spe- Spectrum also can get easily up to three as well. She's like that's probably the true. only other one, right? Yeah, that's true. But I guess in that case, I, I was just thinking printed, but that's a, that's a, that's a fair yeah. point. I think with Spectrum, there is a small opportunity cost. You you are giving up your your other forms and your other stats, whereas you know Phoenix still has two defense, and then you got to look at the kit as a whole. But yeah, Spectrum's fantastic at thwarting. I, anyway, I just thought, yeah, like 
like Peter said, you, you've got the, the free resource right away. So you have, you have a hand size five, but you also have a free wild resource. You've got formidable stats. And I really like her kit. You know, it's very toolboxy, but I think of like mind control as like maybe the most powerful card in the game. You know, they just turn a, a, a minion into your, your ally. Like <laughs> someone tagged me on Facebook and it was like a, a sentinel with eight hit points and like four attack or something nuts like that. And they were like, is this even legal? You know, I was like, feels pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I had one the other day where the sentinel got upgraded by one of the upgrades in the deck. And yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, yep, you're mine now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so when you have a hero that can do that, yeah, it, you, you know, part of the counterbalance is, uh, okay, but what happens when I spend all those resources, you know? Cool. Do you have a card that you hate to see when you are playing a personal game? Is there a card that you're like, oh, no. <laughs> hmm. Well, I think we've all had the experience of drawing advance at just the wrong moment, right? Yeah. Yep. Like, everybody's lost a game because they were like, okay, now, if we can just make it back to our turn, we can defeat the villain and win. But he's only, like, you know, a little bit of threat away from from finishing the, you know, the, the main scheme. So, cross your fingers, right? Let's not draw advance. And then, of course, it's advance. Or, for in my case... It's usually like I draw a card that says do this thing. And if you can't, it gains surge. And I'm like, oh, I can't do it. And then you're like, oh, no, now I hit advance, you know, <laughs> catch it on the surge. Ah, uh, surge. Uh, Brant, <laughs> if you mind control Mystique, but I'm going to answer that for you. Mystique's elite. So you can't mind control right. Mystique. You, um, yeah, that was one of the, again, we tried to future proof a little bit because, uh, yeah, like if you just said mind control a minion, then it's like anyone ever and no minions are scary anymore because you can always just mind control them. Well, I mean, uh, I'm also, putting Ronin modular yeah. in every time if that's the case, and I'm just going to take Ronin. It's my <laughs> new ally. I mean, right. so much hit points, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we had, to, we had to build in a safety net for ourselves there. And so, yeah, we didn't want you to be able to mind control uh, Mystique. Even canonically, Mystique is very difficult to uh, manipulate telepathically. So... Yeah. We felt it was appropriate that you can't just you can't just grab her and make her uh, your ally. Yep. I had questions about the future of Marvel Champions, but uh, I mean, I don't know how many of these you can answer. So uh, <laughs> we, we will leave it. Usually not many. <laughs> we will leave it vague. But Terrence, did you have any other questions, comments about the, the main game before we ask about the future? Yeah, uh, I guess like I feel like you've hinted about being really excited about this box uh, now that it's out. Like, mm-hmm. how are you feeling about it? Uh, like, you know, it's in people's hands now, finally, right? Like, how long have people been asking you for X Men and, and Mutants since probably the game was announced, right? So, yeah, I was just going to have that, it out in the wild. That was and, the first question, right? When uh, Gen Con 2019 and we announced Marvel Champions was coming and we were giving demos at the convention and everybody's first question is when are the X-Men coming? You know, like we hadn't even done Captain America yet or rise of red skull and, and we hadn't done guardians and all the Avengers yet. And everyone just wants to know when are the X-Men coming? (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, it's been a long time coming and I definitely felt the pressure. Like when I first started working on it, I was very excited to work on it because the X-Men are my favorite characters. They're the characters that got me into reading comic books. And Cyclops is still my favorite uh, Marvel character. And so, like, the thought of designing all of them was fantastic and terrifying at the same time because they are so popular. You know, like, Wolverine has to be one of the most hotly anticipated hero packs in the history of the game. And the thought is, like, well, you better not screw that up. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you, better, 
better yeah. do something that people like, you know? So it's, it's a weird balance of like, I really like Wolverine. I can't wait to design them. And oh my gosh, there's going to be so many expectations on it. So my play testers helped a lot. My play testers were great because I was kind of nervous and then I shared them up and, and my coworkers too, Michael Boggs and MJ and, and others were, were very encouraging when they looked down, they're like, this is great. This is exciting. I can't wait to try this. And then testers were like, this might be my favorite hero ever. This is super thematic. One of my testers really cracked me up with his first report uh, playing Wolverine. It was basically just ship it, you know, like just, nice. just, you know, like maybe the best one I've ever played and told me this little story of how he found himself like laughing at all the minions and calling them bub, you know, like a hey, bub, you know, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then he wrote, so I just played Wolverine, see how many bubs I could take out. <laughs> like, <laughs> really cracked me up. It was super fun. So I started the, the, the pressure started to come off. And I just started to really enjoy the process again and got all the way to the end and felt very proud of the product. And then it goes away for a long time, yeah. right? That's our process that not everyone understands like how much time goes by between the last time that I touched the files to when they actually come out in stores. Yeah. So much time has gone by. So then I started to get nervous again. I haven't looked at it in a while. I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do again? What does Wolverine do? What is, you know, what, what ability did I give this character? And then you start to go, gee, I really hope, I really hope people like it. And I, I haven't heard too much yet because I'm I've been real busy doing other things, but what I've heard is pretty good for the most part. So Well, I'll tell you, that second yeah. scenario, and I don't want to get into too many details, is one of my favorite scenarios ever. And I actually saw some love for it in the stream earlier as well. It doesn't happen very often. It did happen earlier where you got rewarded for getting rid of side schemes. Mm -hmm. And that second scenario, like every side scheme you get rid of, you get something for, and you build mm -hmm. this like army of allies up pretty quickly. And I don't know, it's just so satisfying. It's like, oh, what do I do with this three thwart? That's fine. Do I get rid of side scheme? Do I take it off main? Oh, I'm not taking anything off main. I get an ally <laughs> if I take it off that side scheme. I'm definitely yeah. taking out every side scheme I can. It's just so satisfying. I I don't know that there's another, I mean, I don't know that it's my favorite scenario of all time. Actually, another uh, one you designed, Hella, or at least in, in a box mm -hmm. you were lead design on, is definitely one of the top ones for me. But cool. I never felt dopamine rush the way I did playing that second scenario where it's like, oh, I can do this and get an ally. Oh, I can do this and get something. <laughs> there's the fun. one in, in Red Skull, right, where you do Zola. Is it yep. Zola the one to capture? Taskmaster. No, no, Taskmaster. Has the, Ta yeah, Taskmaster the is the one to capture. I'm really glad to hear that that was exciting because part, part of me is like maybe very cynical and I worry they're going to be like, oh, yeah, it's another Caleb Grace campaign with another scenario where there's four side schemes and four captives that we got to, you know, but it, I'm kind of like over here, like that's always fun, right? It's always fun to. Oh, yeah. I, well, and it's to, more to fun yeah. here because it starts in play. At least one of them starts in play. Whereas mm -hmm. there, you might not ever see any of those allies. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do like that they're, it feels like they're a little better balanced here as far as there's a cost to get them back into play. It's not just yeah. free to keep putting them in because those, that first oh, but set it feels of, so good. It's no good with make the call. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pay that zero printed cost to put that yep. three thwart white tiger in. Sure. Yes. <laughs> Why not? But there was a question earlier, actually, that reminded me. And sorry, I don't remember who asked it about. So the, you do have that lag time, right? So you're probably on box three before you got any feedback about the core game at all. So how did that feedback you got from early plays of the game from the core box change how you started designing stuff going forward? Or did it change? So I, I don't know that we 
really started to get customer feedback until we were already working on the Galaxy's Most Wanted. We definitely had playtester feedback. Right. But I think it is important to make a little distinction because like we talked about very early on, like we are trying to aim for a, a wider audience, a more casual audience. And you don't find a lot of really casual gamers volunteering to be playtesters. You know, like at the point that you are volunteering to be a, uh, a well, I guess you're not volunteering anymore. There, there's compensation, but to be interested in the playtest process, you have to be pretty, pretty into a game, right? To want to become part of the process, which means early on, before we got anything out to the public, out to customers, the only feedback we're getting is playtester feedback. And like I've said, that's incredibly valuable, but it's also going to be skewed just a little bit towards the more advanced players. Yep, because that those tend to be our playtesters, our more advanced players, and so there has to be this uh, kind of part of you that's always trying to keep that in mind and, and kind of counterbalance uh, to say, okay, yep, that's true of more advanced gamers, but we got to remember everybody else too. So it, it it is a little bit like designing in the blind, designing that like Rise of Red Skull was a little bit of like, here's what I think will be fun. The testers are enjoying it. I don't want to go too hard, you know, because I, I don't want to lose that audience and. Then, then it kind of gets out in the wild and, and goes to stores and feedback is generally positive. People are people are enjoying it. But some of the people online are saying, you know, it's a little easy. And uh, for for a talented uh, card gamer, it probably is. So I think that was the first time that feedback started to to make its way back to the team. And I know that when Box was working on Galaxy's Most Wanted, there was a little bit of that. Well, we, we need to ratchet it up just a little. just a little just a little (laughs) well and and so we're looking though like you know i know that's kind of the jokes like ronan's like really hard but you know i i think it's it's worth noting that box did some very creative things to add difficulty without necessarily just putting surge on everything or upping the numbers you know he designed some really creative scenarios where it's difficult because you have to change the way you play oh yeah Uh, collector one changes And even collector two, or just uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. some of the most creative scenarios. I mean, I I want to get into that later. It's still one of my, for sure. Like, I I think I'm probably not in the same mind of a lot of the community. It's still one of my like favorite boxes that have come out, just because of that. Um, But that's probably my like Lord of the Rings mentality of just like having to like deck tech, and it was like one of the first like compared to Rise Red Skull, which was what you played before, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it was so different, right? Like, it was Mm -hmm. like you run to Drang and it was fun to have, you know, the Milano. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you go to collector and I got my ass kicked like in collector. <laughs> like, you know, you just, you're just like, you can't play the same way. You got You got to think differently. And, you know, I, I remember going through the campaign and being like, okay, I can't play expert campaign. Like I, the first time I played rise of red school, I just played it expert campaign. It was fine. And I had a great time. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember talking to Peter and be like, this game it's too hard i we gotta play i gotta play on standard like mm-hmm. gotta go yeah. back and play the, at least the campaign on standard if i was playing like expert villains and it was like yeah I, got, I had to really think about kind of each each scenario and and that was really fun for me that's yeah i it's to this day it's still some of the most fun that i've had working on champions because bogs and i got to play through that whole campaign and for me it's like those are fond memories because like we don't we're not even at the office anymore but that's when we used to be at the office and we could just pick up our decks and move out into the common area and sit at a table and, and play. And, and so we actually found the time to play through the whole thing a couple of times, actually, and just had a lot of fun. 
And I and I liked all the uh, you know the the changing victory conditions, loss conditions, really experimenting what the game could do. Rise of Red Skull was sort of like our safe bet. That was kind of like hard design. It was like this is going to present a little more of the same. You know, the the mo- the scenarios, the mechanics would be pretty straightforward. The the new gimmick is that you can connect it all through a campaign. That's kind of that is the gimmick. Of course, you can't use that as the gimmick for the next box because you've already seen it before. So you got to yeah. find something new. And, um, yeah, I think some players just really like solving those puzzles of like, how do I get through a scenario where if I discard a card, it moves me toward my loss condition. And then some players just want to play the game, you know, with, like the same way they do against Rhino. They just want to, you know, do a little swinging web kick in there and kick the villain in the face and win the game. Yeah. You know, so it, it is a challenge sometimes to please both crowds, you know? Yeah. I still so that's, think that's the tightrope walk that we do. Yeah, Rise of Red Skull is still the the box we recommend for players who are just getting into the game. They got the core box, they want a little more. I think Rise mm-hmm. of Red Skull is was and is still the perfect next step campaign. Like the next step, great you, you get a, a bunch more villains that all still feel very different, but don't over challenge you when you don't know the basics of the game yet, as far as like complexity of rules, but at the mm-hmm. same time still feel very different than any of the core box ones. So I, I do think you did a great job. And then there's a couple fun heroes. Spider woman, still one of my favorite, like when I'm trying to build, like I built a defender's deck when the game first came out, right? You can't do mm-hmm. that without having multiple aspects, right? Cause you got, you know, Luke Cage in one aspect and you got uh, an iron fist in the other. Oh no. Cage mm-hmm. and Iron Fist are in the same one, but it was uh, Jessica Jones and Daredevil are both Justice. They're both yep. Justice, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, to build that deck, I had to use Spider Woman, and so yeah, no, some of the coolest heroes, and I still think Spider Woman. Any of these heroes where you can play with the deck building, I think, create new fun challenges as well. And I guess as I get, we mm-hmm. we transition a little into the design portion of it. Like, mm-hmm. how do you keep it fresh? Right. And, and I'll say you've done a great job because every hero I play feels very different. So how do you keep it fresh with heroes? How do you keep it fresh with villains, modulars, all that? I mean, what, how, whatever order you want to take that. Well, I think that the source material does a lot of the work for us. If you really think about it, Marvel has a lot of very iconic heroes with a lot of different powers and a lot of different personalities and backstories so that Right away, if you're just smart about which heroes you choose to do, you can have a lot of variety just baked in. You know, like okay. Spider-Man has a very different power set from Wolverine, you know, and from Iron Man and She-Hulk. Like, they're all very unique in that. But even when you have heroes who are kind of similar, like uh, Iron Man and Iron Heart, Nate has mentioned to me several times over the years that you could take uh, a single character from any game, whether it's Lord of the Rings, Arkham, Marvel, you could take a single character and probably design them a hundred different ways, you know, that all feel valid and true to that character. And so even when you have heroes who have similar power sets, you can, you can express those in different ways. So part of it's just being, you know, taking advantage of, uh, of the IP and the lore that's, you know, already there for us to, to delve into and just making sure that we're trying to faithfully bring those characters to life. And then the other is being strategic about, which heroes we choose and when, and then, and then from there, just being very intentional about finding a unique way to, to bring those characters to life. Some of the ways I've seen you do it for Black Widow, as an example, she has cards that specifically anybody can use, but are really designed for her. She plays a lot mm-hmm. with those 
Um, I don't even know why my mind's blanking on them. Preparations. Preparations, right? So, but then you don't, you haven't really seen another preparation hero come out. So is that a space Mm -hmm. where you go, well, we only have so many preparations in the game in order to change Black Widow up. Maybe we should come up with another preparation hero. Does that like kind of thing Mm -hmm. enter your mind? And you see it now with these tactics cards with Cyclops as well. So, you know, these are spaces where you open up a little design space, but then we, we haven't seen you go back to them yet. Is that something you guys think about? Yeah, absolutely. We think about it. I, th- I think it's um, if there was a if we eventually did a hero who was like this person is also a, a schemer and a planner and it would be very appropriate to use preparation cards. You know, we could explore that and say, OK, how would they how would they use preparation cards, but differently from Black Widow? Yeah. You know, that would be the most important thing would be how would it be different? And yeah, like, like with Cyclops and tactic things, that's a little bit of serendipity, you know, like, honestly, I did not like go back and look at the whole card pool to go, how many tactic upgrades are out there? It was more of, we've established that tactic is a trait and upgrade is a card type. And, you know, this is how I want Cyclops to target down his enemies is by attaching these, you know, tactic upgrades to them. And then, yeah, and then the moment you realize, like, oh, there are other tactic upgrades, and we could make more in the future, then you realize, okay, we're really onto something here that this is a character who's going to become more interesting over time. That's always fun, you know? Yeah. But, How do you decide, like, when you do fill out the, like, I feel like preparation cards have gotten not a ton of love, but definitely, like, a decent, like, you know, like Black Widow came with a bunch of them in her kit yep. outside of her signature. And then, yep. you know, like there's been packs that are on where we've gotten some really neat, I think, preparation cards too, where like, because, you know, you do build not very large decks, you, you have to make hard choices about which ones you want to take because you don't just want a yeah. whole deck of preparation cards, right? But then on the flip side, you have someone like Nebula, right, who has technique. And I don't know mm-hmm. if there are actually are any technique cards in the player card pool that are outside of her signature set, right? So like, yeah, I don't like, think so. uh, like you kind of have the inverse with her, where it's just like yeah. her whole kit's uh, kind of is built around this technique thing, but like you can't really like build around at least that specific trait of it. You have to mm-hmm. kind of think about other stuff when you like kind of deck build around her. So like, uh, I'm curious like how those kind of decisions get made there. Yeah, I think so. You know, obviously the the heroes have two very different abilities, and that's what drives it is the the hero ability is like the focal point of the kit, right? Kind of informs what the rest of the kits is going to be about. And Nebula's ability to just trigger all these things dictates that all of those upgrades need to work a certain way, right? So if we ever designed like a technique upgrade that didn't work that way, it would just, you know, it would just collapse. It would all fall apart. So hers is very self-contained, kind of out of necessity. Whereas, you know, Black Widow, her ability is more flexible to like, play a preparation, you know, draw a card or do a damage or whatever it is. Uh, I'm, I'm not looking at her in front of me right now. I just know it's when you play a preparation card or when you trigger it or one of those. So that just made, you know, you have a lot more freedom with what do these preparation cards do. But even the very nature uh, of the preparation design was kind of like, oh, these are going to trigger on the villain's turn. You know, that makes sense. Just thematically, they're all going to do that. And again, though, you have more flexibility with that than you do with like the, the timing trigger of the techniques and everything. So that's kind of my best guess. There wasn't like a whole deep conversation about, you know, Black Widow in relation to Nebula specifically, like sure. that never really took place. But as far as like the back of the pack and having more options, that was a very specific conversation. You know, MJ Newman, 
came in and um, designed Black Widow initially and came up with this idea of like preparation and planning to do stuff on the villain's turn. And her, her big request was like, can you please put more preparation cards at the back of her pack so that you can play her in other aspects? You know, we don't want to lock her in just this one. And I was like, no, fight me. And and she did and she won. So I had to. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It was not it was like such an obvious like, yeah, of course, you know. Yeah. And uh, that was actually on my mind when I did Cyclops because it was like, okay, I need to make sure to put in more tactic upgrades for different aspects so that you can play Cyclops out of leadership in, yep. in other aspects. So sometimes those packs kind of design themselves. It's so like common sense. It's it, Those are kind of fun when it's like, I don't have to scratch my head and think too hard about what to do. It's just a matter of coming up with the specific effects. Yeah, other, other packs are trickier where uh, a hero design just kind of leaves it more open of like, this could be anything, you know? <laughs> yeah. So actually I have something, this is a, a kind of design focus, but something that Terrence mm-hmm. and I often debate was the decision to not let people do any action at any time, almost somewhat simultaneous, oh. w- you know, whereas the actions, obviously you can do on other players' turns, but you can't flip mm-hmm. on other players' turns. You can't attack with your allies, you know, to one degree, it limits the combos you can do, but to another mm-hmm. degree, it really is a constraining factor that makes you really think about your turns in different ways. So was there ever yeah. a discussion about that? Or why did yep. you decide to not let people do whatever they wanted on other players' turns? Right. No, that, that's, that's, a, that's a very valid question. And, and I have to, to say, with, you know, with all fairness, that there were people in the office who advocated pretty strongly that we should just have a shared open turn where everybody can just play simultaneous and and there's validity to that so don't get me wrong like i'm not saying like that's a bad idea there's a lot of good reasons to want to do that ultimately for me i felt it was important to have a turn structure because that kind of open free form imagine you're teaching that to someone who's not very used to this kind of game just just put yourself in that headspace of i'm going to explain how to play marvel champions to someone who hasn't played a lot of card games, you know, and, and so I'm going to try to tell him, here's what you can do on your turn, but I can also do this on your turn. Wait, no, no, don't do that yet. Cause I'm going to do this first. I was just worried that would be a very frustrating experience for someone sure. who's more casual. And because I've experienced this a lot, and sometimes I'm the one who's guilty of this, you end up with someone who's just kind of playing everyone's turns for them. Just telling them, hold on, don't do that yet. I'm going to do this. Now you should do that. And so on and so on. Whereas if you put that structure in it, it's like, okay, it's your turn. This is your chance to make your decisions, to do what you want. And if you're teaching someone, you just say, tell you what, I'll go first. I'll play my turn. You can kind of see how I play my turn. And then you can play yours with that knowledge of, oh, I'm going to discard cards to pay for cards. I'm going to exhaust my hero to do something, you know, flip to alter ego. So while there are advantages to a more open form shared turn, I think in, in for Marvel Champions, I really felt and still do feel they're outweighed by the advantages of of having the structure that makes it easier to teach the game, easier to learn. It, it keeps again keeps the barrier of entry down, in, in my opinion. Sure. So, what made you decide to let people do actions on other players' turns? Then, well, so you can request actions. Right. It's a slight, you know, difference there. Uh, of um, yeah, because we we do want it to be co op, right? We okay. want to be able to help each other out. So we, we built in some specific things like the Avengers Mansion right there in the core set. It doesn't just give me a card. It says exhausted to give a player a card. And we, you know, we want to be able to do that. 
on your turn because I might be going second, you might be going first, and you're over there going, man, if I had one more resource, I could play this really cool ally. It's going to totally change the shape of the turn. And I'll be like, tell you what, I got you. Draw a card. You know, Exhaust Avengers Tower, you get a card. And you're like, oh, great. There's that sense of teamwork and camaraderie. You know, that just that just transformed the turn as opposed to going, oh, man, if only I went first, then I could have used Avengers Tower to give you a card. Bummer. Yeah. Yeah. So it's trying to strike that balance. P- yeah. Peter asks for Mansion Helicare every turn. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> that's how we play. And he doesn't always put out an awesome ally. Let's be fair. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, oh. yeah, like, like, hey, somebody's got to drag the team down. It can't all be Terrence's. Does the turn structure like like this is one of the arguments I, I, I talk with Peter about just like it. It also puts value on certain cards or, and puts more weight on flipping down versus flipping up. Because like obviously most of the actions you're going to do tend to be hero actions. So like. Yeah. Put like flipping down means that if I am the second player or third player or fourth player, I'm not the first player. Like it does mm-hmm. impact my ability to manipulate the stuff that's just come out right on the build yeah. phase. And obviously, if it's simultaneous, it would have less impact. Like I could just flip up, right? Um, yeah. Is that a thing that was part of the design or just kind of more accidental? I think that for me, again, just kind of my experience, that's a little more serendipity of. My, like I said, my main reason of making sure that there was a turn order had to do with teaching the game, with giving the necessary structure that it's easy to pick up and play. And then it just kind of worked out that, yeah, then it's going to, it's also going to put a limit on how much people can optimize their turns because already I think players are very empowered. And if you could just perfectly optimize your turns every round, then the game might just become trivial. Like there needs to be a certain degree of challenge, you know, a certain level of tension that's maintained or everything. If if it all becomes automatic, you stop playing because if the outcome's a foregone conclusion, you're like, what's the point? I don't even want to go through the effort of setting it all up and drawing my hand if I already know I'm going to win. And it's just a matter of time. So it it, it was a way to kind of pump the brakes on on, uh, players being able to just completely control the board. Cool. Well, we've taken up a lot of your time today. Uh, I do want to give you two opportunities before we get out of here. Number one is to say future of Marvel champions, anything you want to talk about the future. What are you excited most about? Feel free to say anything or nothing as much as you want. Yeah. Well, we can't ever discuss anything that's not been announced. So I can't like discuss any unannounced products or theorize about product types in the future. But you know, our, our studio head did, did mention at Gen Con that Mutant Genesis is meant to be the kickoff of uh, the next phase of Marvel Champions. And that's exciting for me to talk about because that was something that I sort of championed myself early on. And it was really just looking at the success of, of the MCU and how that you, you have this whole, I think they call it now the infinity story, you know, where you can see that uh, there were these phases of Marvel that they were they were interconnected and building on each other. And I thought, wouldn't that be fun to bring to our game and and to have one story box lead into the next one so that people are like, oh, my gosh, these adventures are interconnected, not just the five scenarios in the box, but then this box is connected to this box. And uh, the, the three part story structure seems to be, you know, something very commonly accepted. And so I was like, you know, we should have the first three wave build up and 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 culminate in in that third box. So 
you know, my pitch was let's have an Avengers wave, let's have a Guardians wave, and then we they team up Avengers and Guardians to take on Thanos and and save the universe from the Infinity Stones. And so with uh, the X-Men, you know, the, the most hotly anticipated characters since 2019, there's so many great characters associated with the X-Men that it was like, oh, we're barely uh, scratching the tip of the iceberg here in the first wave. Even, yeah. with, uh, even with two additional hero packs in this wave, there's still going to be so many that people are like, oh, but where's this character? Where's that character? You know, yeah. that we thought, and, and, uh, and more importantly, to us as designers, as storytellers, there's really great villains because the story boxes are really about, you know, the scenarios and the villains and their stories and their ambitions and you're trying to stop them. So there's so many great characters. There's so many great villains. This might be time for our next phase, you know, and uh, since Mutant Genesis is out there in the wild now and people have uh, got it and been able to read through the comic, uh, there's a really fun you know, the last page of the comic, I think, is a really fun stinger. I, I hope people enjoy it, too, because I got a Mr. Sinister is like one of my favorite uh, villains, you know, from from the comics. And uh, one of my favorite things about him is how he's just like so flamboyant and like just kind of in love with himself. You know, he's always using his name in like sentences, you know, so <laughs> right. I just uh, I just had so much fun writing that line, you know, of like, oh, if you're looking for a solution to the mutant problem might i suggest something more sinister you know it's like oh my god this is so nice. so campy and fun and so i mean yeah that's obviously a hint of like hmm who might me see in the in the next you know box and so i was yeah. i was excited when when our studio had started talking about yeah there's going to be more mutants in in upcoming expansions i can't share more details than he did but i am very excited to continue the story and for people to join us on that ride Hopefully everybody enjoyed, you know, the first phase culminating with Mad Titan Shadow and and they're excited to see where we're going with this phase. That's that's our hope. I think that's really exciting personally. So then where does the Spider-Verse fall in, right? <laughs> Did they, were they just like yeah. were they their own phase? Uh, <laughs> they were. They were their own thing and that that was also that was also on purpose. So sometimes we do things to create player expectations so that they have a sense of like, "Oh, I can see where this is going and it gets them excited for the future." And then sometimes we do things deliberately just to be like, well, I didn't see that coming at all. You know, yeah. just to let people know that we can be predictable and you can get excited, but we can also surprise you. Spider-Ham uh, was that surprise. I think that's <laughs> what you're trying to say. Yeah, I, sure. I thought it was great that that announcement came on in April Fool's. I got to say, if, if you guys watch our live streams and, and, you've, and you've met Peter, he's doing a fantastic job writing our marketing articles. And I'm just going to take a second here to just kind of brag on him because it's going to embarrass him. <laughs> but really, a, a good marketing writer is never going to get noticed, right? No one's ever going to go, boy, who wrote that? It, they only ever get noticed if they don't like it. You know, it's, it's sort of like when you have a beautiful picture and you put it in the right frame, the picture looks better. No one says, wow, check out that frame. They're like, wow, that picture is great. But the frame plays a really important role there that kind of goes unnoticed and unsung. Peter is that frame. Like Peter sets us up and he makes us look so good and he hypes up our product so well. And the spider ham article had me in stitches. It was like the it was just amazing. It was such a great article and putting it on an April Fool's Day. Like those were his initiatives. And the campaign contest that we did recently was also uh, Peter's idea which I thought was maybe one of the coolest things we've ever done as a studio to engage with our audience, to give them an opportunity to flex their own creativity and then 
you know, brag on them on our live stream. That was really fun for everybody. So Peter's absolutely crushing it. And, and I wanted to take that opportunity because that Spider-Ham article was something special. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad. Uh, I, I think it's awesome that it was planned then to be on mm -hmm. April Fool's, like, kind of line that yep. up. That sounds really cool. Are you going to go and play all those, like, some of those scenarios that are submitted? I know in the past you've kind of avoided fan content um, in the past. Oh, yeah. You know, there's the, kind of an important distinction to make there. Yes, in general, as a rule for myself personally, I do not view any custom content ever, you know, like, and, and that's not because it's not worthy or important to a game's health. I think the amount, the sheer amount of volume of, of uh, custom content that's been shared up on like Facebook every Sunday is a really healthy sign that we have a very engaged community and people really like the game. I think that's all great. I don't look at it personally because I, I just want people to know that when I'm creating cards, I'm not stealing anyone's ideas. And if something I do ends up looking like something was already done, that's purely by chance. So that's really important to me. As far as like playing this stuff, I would love to. I'm hard pressed to imagine where I'll find time. <laughs> so after the live stream ended, I actually started joking with our marketing team, our, our organized play team. I was like, do you guys want to have us back and we could play through some of these? Because that's probably the only way that I'll be able to find time to do it is if it's like work and I can come in in the middle of the day and play it. So I would love to. It's just hard to find the time to do it. Cool. Well, everybody's sharing who their favorite uh, X-Men are. Some people are very happy that they've been announced their favorites. And other people are like, when are my favorites coming out? Yep. So the good news is it sounds like we're going to be on X-Men for a little while now. We've got a whole wave of them coming. So how, whatever that means, right? So however long that means. So you'll, your X-Men will get out there sooner or later. Hopefully. There are so many. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's... I, I don't know. I, I feel like you're going to piss some people off just because you can't. You just no way you can get to all of them. That, that's just what yeah, you have to accept, is, right? Well, there's no way we can get to them all in this phase of the game. Cross your fingers, knock on wood. I mean, this game has a very strong following. It could go for a long time. And, and you know, our, our goal, our desire is to get to all of them. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. I just the Marvel Universe is so big, though. It's just mm -hmm. like getting bigger. Like how long is like, yeah? Legendary has been going on for how long? And like they're still missing tons of heroes, right? All right, Caleb. So any final words you want to leave us on? Any anything you want to promote? Either games you have coming out. I know you talked a little bit about mm -hmm. your deck builder earlier. You want to talk more about that? Do you want to let people know where they can reach you? Yeah, I mostly I would just like to express my appreciation. You know, it's it's really rewarding. Like I said, uh, to hear that people are enjoying the game, especially that so many people are enjoying the game enough that they want to make custom content or record their plays and share them on YouTube or share their thoughts on every announcement article. It's just exciting to be part of such a, a vibrant community, you know, that everyone is is so into it. And that and I just want people to know that's something that we just don't take for granted on the team. That's something that's very important to us. There's kind of a split interest for all of us that that work on the game of like. Part of it is our job and, and, you know, and we're interested in making money so that we can keep our jobs. So that's the very pragmatic side of it. We can't afford to do it for free. I got to feed my family, right? So that, that's all going very well. The other side of it, though, the, the part that I think is really of equal value to us is that we want to make something that people love. We're not just phoning it in. We're not just doing it for the paycheck. This is something we feel very excited about. We feel very privileged to work on. Tony's our newest member of the team, and he's absolutely crushing it. I can't wait for his stuff to get announced. He was able to collaborate with Boggs before Boggs eventually uh, moved out of country and found a new job. 
he and Boggs did some incredible work on the follow-up to Mutant Genesis. So there's a lot to be excited about there. Mojo has already been announced. That's something that that the two of them cooked up together. And I think you're gonna get you're gonna get a little taste of, of their creativity with that one is is a superb product. So I feel like the future of champions is is very, very bright. Even though we sadly lost Box from the team, we did pick up Tony and, and he's a great addition. And Tony and I both just very happy to be able to do what we do. And so very thankful to everybody for for playing the game and, and taking time to listen to me ramble. It's awesome. Thank you for doing what you've done. I mean, this is a game that is definitely taking a hold of me. Certainly Terrence as well. Like I said, we, we play every Friday and, and that's not going to stop. And that's just what we do publicly. Like <laughs> I know Terrence <laughs> plays a lot at home. Mm-hmm. I do what I can as well. Fantastic game. Cool. Thanks for all you do, Caleb. And there's about a hundred questions in the chat that I didn't get to ask you. So I apologize if your question wasn't asked, but we're, we're not keeping Caleb here all night. <laughs> so hopefully we can have you on again um, maybe when it, either the end of this wave happens or the next wave whatever we'd love to have you on again yeah I'd be happy this was real nice thanks for the invitation absolutely alrighty Brady well thanks for joining us and we will talk to you soon bye bye everyone thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop, or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list. Hey guys. Yeah? My Shadows of the Past nemesis is Terrence. (laughs) 